Uh, if you have your, oh, thanks, Ian. If you have your Bible this morning, you can open up to Psalm 8. Last week we read a Psalm, uh, Psalm 5, that was filled with lament and grief. And this morning we're switching gears. We're reading a happy Psalm, which is nice. Before we read the passage this morning, I would just love to know who considers themselves handy. You can raise your hand if you consider yourself handy. A, a few, okay. Um, who considers themselves crafty? Okay, uh, a few more. Who can't fix or make a single thing and your friends and spouse will side-eye you if you tr- attempt it? Okay, yeah. Uh, more of those, which is a little concerning for us. Um, by the way, this is why the church directory is important. For those of you who are not handy, keep that directory close. Um, we're going to be talking this morning about God as a maker. God as a craftsman. Uh, in Psalm 8, David takes time to appreciate God's workmanship. And, and namely creation, nature, people. He talks about God's skilled crafting and making. And we're going to look at a few different creations that the Lord has made and what we can learn about God through them. Because what I've learned over the years is you can probably tell a good amount about someone based on what what they make. So we're going to be reading from Psalm chapter 8 this morning. Let's read together and then we'll pray. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, your name is majestic. Surely you deserve a lot of worship. We deserve that we would recognize your goodness, your greatness, your majesty. But Lord, also would you reveal yourself to us through your creation and through your word this morning. Would we see you and know you better? And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts. We surrender ourselves to the work you want to do today. Would you encourage us and convict us? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, many of you might know, especially if we're friends on social media, that I've moved twice during the pandemic, once in the middle of our very first lockdown last April, and once in October. I would really, truly not recommend doing this. It was a a really awful experience. Uh, My first move was to a little cottage, barely a mile from here. It was a little studio apartment. And I knew from day one, this is my first time moving out on my own, that I I needed a lot of things, but I I needed a great couch. Okay, little studio apartment, the way the apartment was laid out, this couch was gonna be in the middle of everything. And I'm very aesthetically driven, so I I didn't want just like any comfortable couch that screamed like, you almost got murdered on Craigslist for this, right? It had to be like a nice piece of furniture. And so I I wanted a blue couch specifically. I spent weeks on Facebook Marketplace, every random app imaginable, and uh, finally I found a couch, a nice blue pullout, and all my dreams came true, right? Very happy, apartment looked great, nice pillows on there, it was wonderful. And then I moved like five months later, 
And we had an issue. See, my, my roommate had this giant, really nice gray couch that had to go on our bottom floor, which meant my couch was going to go in our loft. But we had a really narrow staircase. And maybe you've moved from a bigger place into a smaller place, or maybe you've moved to a place with just weird dimensions. Moving a couch up a narrow staircase, it's a little bit worse than that episode of Friends where he's just screaming pivot all the time. And we're trying to move this up, and finally I just look at him like, this is not going to happen. We're not, we're not even halfway up the stairs. It's just not going to go. And so we start talking about, like, selling the couch. What are we going to do? And our landlord, who was <coughs> stopping by, overheard. He said, oh, I used to make furniture. Why don't I dismantle your whole couch? We'll move all the pieces upstairs, and then we'll rebuild the whole thing. And I looked at him like, you'd be willing to do that? And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. No problem. And so he said, I'll, I'll come by tomorrow. It'll take, like, an hour. It did not take an hour. Because what he thought was going to be a simple process of like, oh, if we just remove this one piece, everything will fit. We removed that one piece. Didn't fit. He said, no, 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 this next piece. This next piece will do it. The didn't fit. At the end of the day, we took the entire couch apart. I mean, almost piece by piece. And had to cut into the fabric so that he could access different bolts. And thank God the guy knew what he was doing. So we move everything upstairs, spend another two or three hours reassembling the couch and he covers up the fabric. If you were to come to my apartment today and go sit in my loft, you would not be able to tell that this couch had been torn apart, cut open, disassembled. It looks spotless, which says a lot about the guy who did the work. Because if I had had to dismantle that couch up the stairs, it would have been a chainsaw and some wood glue, and you would sit on it, and it would, have just, it would just fall apart. There would be no more couch. But this guy is brilliant. He's got years of experience working with furniture. He knows what he's doing, and it shows in his handiwork. We can see his skill. We can see his wisdom in knowing where to cut and what to move. A workman really shows a lot about himself in what he makes. And what we're seeing today in Psalm 8 is that we can see a lot about the Lord through what he makes and how he makes it. In verse 1, for instance, we see that God brings beauty from chaos. David says this to the Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. This sounds really simple and quick when we read it like this, and I, I feel like this a lot with Scripture. You read two sentences, and you're like, yeah, okay, makes sense, and we fail to notice the gravity of what we just said. David is talking about all of creation being subject to God's handiwork, and he's saying, God, you made everything, and you are higher than all of it. You put the heavens in place, and you're more wonderful than the heavens. You are God who brings beauty from chaos. He does this with all of creation. He sets each planet in its place, each heavenly body, with a variety of ecosystems and how everything's in delicate balance, the diversity and wonder of nature. God brings beauty from chaos, making all of creation a unique expression of his wonder and his love and his goodness. Our God brings beauty from chaos, which is really good news for us because it means that God also brings beauty from chaos in our own lives. This God that we know can do the same work with us in our life, in our accounts, as he's done with the world around us. David certainly knows this. If you were here last week, we talked about David's life being really chaotic, really painful, really challenging. And the Lord restores order. 
he sets things right, often making right what David is the one who ruined. So maybe in your life you look around sometimes and, and you just see chaos. Um, we were hosting some friends over for a, a brunch the other day. And as I've shared before, I have ADHD and it, it really shows when I'm cooking for people because there's a lot of like, where did that ladle go? And then the ladle's in the fridge. You know, there's a, there's a lot of like those little things that happen. And there's a moment as I'm, I'm working on brunch and I'm pulling some stuff out of the oven and I just stand there looking confused. And Lindsay was over and she just screams, it's right over there. I didn't even ask. She, didn't even, she just pointed to what I had last put down. There's chaos, and I, I need someone really guiding the chaos process in our house sometimes. But, but maybe your life looks like chaos, not just because you put things in the wrong place, but because you, you look at your bank account and the bills are coming in. It just feels like chaos. Or you look at your family and your relationships, and it just feels like chaos. But we know a God who brings beauty from chaos. He says, hey, hey, breathe a minute. It's right over there. We're going to set this right. We're going to make this wonderful. We know a God who can set things right, set them in this, their place, and who can make things truly good. I understand this relationship and this idea of relational chaos really well. Um, when I started following Jesus, I was 16, and I had very few friends. I, I, I don't think I really had good friends uh, until late into college. Um, and, and the friends I did have, they weren't very good to me, and they were the kind of friends that a parent worries about. And I know this because my mom was constantly worried. Um, she would sit me down, and she would have the conversation that parents, maybe you've had with your kids at different points. Hey, honey, I, I know you really like the, this group of friends, but I just don't think they're a good fit for you. I don't think they're going to be a good in the, in the long run. But I, I couldn't see it. I was like, no, mom, it's fine. These are my friends. Don't worry about it. Stop, like, just butt out. I got this. But as I started following Jesus, I started realizing that it wasn't going to go well. It became really clear that my old relationships were not working with my new convictions. I started losing friends left and right. And I was tempted to fight to keep them. And in fact, there was a few cases where it felt like I was willing to do almost anything to hold on to those friendships. You know, when you're 16, your friends are your world in a lot of ways. But I hit this moment where I knew that keeping these friends would very much mean breaking a lot of my own convictions. My mom sat me down one night as I was really upset and, and just feeling really the turmoil of this. And she looked at me and said, Filho, you know that if you go God's way, he's going to make it good. So why don't you just pray every single day for God to send you really great friends? And let's trust that he actually wants to do that. So I did. I, I started getting up every single morning and I would say, God, you, you know I really want great friends. W would you do this? Would you send me some? I prayed that prayer every single day for the next eight years, which praying eight years for something is a lot. And God has used it to bring beauty from the chaos of my friendships, beauty from the chaos of what my relationships used to be. I, I can't even tell you how many times today I'll have someone say, well, you're really lucky to have the friends you have. And I just want to scream because I'm like, I, I'm not lucky. Like, I prayed for this for years and years and years. I fought for this. I, I do have really incredible friends, many of whom have become family at this point. And I know it was God's work and guidance in this area of my life that I was subjecting myself to, going, Lord, I, I just want to do what you want to do, but I, I really need your work. I had to be willing to move in his direction, to stop doing whatever little thing I wanted to sit down and pray and to, to trust the process. To trust that God was guiding me. To trust that he was going to meet me 
in the chaos. So as we see that God is a God who brings beauty from chaos, where do you need God to be, bring beauty from the chaos in your life? I want you to, to start thinking about praying about that this week and, and this today as we uh, get into the sermon. But be ready to move in his direction. Be ready to, as he guides, into setting things in place, to going into that place. So God brings beauty from chaos, but God also brings strength from weakness. Verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. I noticed two things from this passage. The first is that David apparently reads Marvel comics. And the second is that God brings strength from weakness. There's a concept here that flies right in the face of our expectations. And it says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. This is not what we expect. See, we think strength comes from strength, right? If I want to beat you in an arm wrestling contest, I better be working for it. I better be doing my, my, my push-ups. I better be eating right, right? Hard work gets results. That's the world we live in. That's the world we understand. But God's economy flips things around. David says that the Lord made strength appear in babies and infants, that that's who God's going to use to overthrow his enemies. While David would be looking for his mighty men and some nice chariots, God's saying, look, my strength is just as good in the hands of a toddler. You better be careful there, Jerry. Baby G, uh, it's pretty strong. But God's saying, look, my strength is just as good in the hands of an infant. I don't need your human strength. I bring strength from weakness. This comes from David, who, who slew Goliath when he was a kid with some pebbles. David knows it's not about what I can do, my skill, my weaponry. It's about God wanting to give his strength, that God brings strength from weakness. Which is good news for us, because life is really rough. And we often find ourselves needing strength way bigger than ours. You know, people often say, God won't give you anything that you can handle. You can't handle, excuse me. And I, I have tension with that statement. I don't think it necessarily aligns with what we see in Scripture. I see that God often says that the things we face in this world are too big for us, but not too big for him. Not too big for the God who wants to meet us in them. My life would suggest that God allows me to face all sorts of things I can't handle. But when I turn to him and to my community, I find the strength needed to face the task. Without God in my community, I don't have it because God designed us to depend on him and on those we share life with, with his church. And God's ready to help. David flat out says in Psalm 8, the reason God gives his strength to the weak is to overthrow his foes. This is not just like passive strength, this idea of strength. He wants to bring strength from weakness to defeat the ones who stand against him, to take on our trials, to take on the enemy. And if this is who God is, and this is what he does, and this is our God, the question we have to ask ourselves is, where do we need strength? Where are we focusing too much on our ability, on our capacity, on our weakness? You know, maybe there's areas in your life where you just say, I, I just can't do it. I hope you would let God give you strength in that weakness. Maybe it's in a relationship where you're just really struggling. Maybe you're really struggling to love someone. I know the past year has taken such a toll on us relationally. I know couples have fought. I know marriages are hard anyway without a pandemic amplifying a lot of the burdens and problems. 
I think sometimes we wake up and we say, I just don't know how to love and care for the people in my life today. I just don't have it in me. My wife, my husband, my kids, my parents, my friends, my coworkers. And what if the Holy Spirit, who taught Jesus and and gave Jesus the strength to love the very men who arrested him, wants to strengthen you to love the person next to you? Wants to give you divine love to support your spouse in their struggles? Wants to give you forgiveness for the ways you've been hurt by family and friends? What if the Holy Spirit actually wants to bring strength from your weakness in your relationships? Our God brings strength from weakness. Or maybe it's an advice you just can't quit. And again, there's been a significant rise in use of various vices across our country as the pressure of last year has hit us. If you've ever said to yourself, I am just not strong enough to leave this. I just don't have this in me. I have good news for you. Our God brings strength from weakness. It has never been about what strength we have. He's never needed your strength. He has only ever needed your willingness. He will do such good things with it. Our God brings strength from weakness. Or maybe you're just hurting. We've also seen a rise in mental health concerns over the past year, and I know so many of us have been pained by loss. When I lost my dad when I was 20, I remember looking at my friend, and all I could say was, what do I do? What do I do? Our God brings strength from weakness. If you need strength and you're hurting, he is good to rely on. If you need hope, he's able to bring that. You don't need to be able to fix your life. You need to trust that a good God that is higher than you can bring strength from weakness. So this God, this master-working God, can bring beauty from chaos and strength from weakness. And to finish up, we see that he also brings purpose from futility. Verses 3 to 6 say this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Our God brings purpose from futility. Maybe you've done what David is doing in this passage. Maybe you've just looked at stars and moons and just thought, wow, I am a tiny speck of nothing floating on a bigger speck of nothing. It can get overwhelming. My brother and I drove out to Cherry Springs State Park last year, and if you've never heard of Cherry Springs, it's beautiful, and it's really only got one main feature, a giant field that is one of the darkest places on the East Coast, if not the darkest place on the East Coast. That's its claim to fame. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no lights. There's no cities. There's no light pollution. And what that means is you can just see everything at night. You look up, and you have never seen so many stars in your life. And we just lay there for like two hours just going, wow, there are way, 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 way more stars than I ever thought there were. And we are tiny. And David recognizes that, recognizes that tininess. But instead of getting lost in it, he says, wow, you know what, Lord, even then, you made us with so much purpose. You've given us glory and honor. You've given us good work to do, this planet to care for. God, you have brought us purpose from futility. We're tiny specks, sure, but tiny specks with immense purpose and immense value to the kingdom of God. 
Ephesians says that we are God's workmanship. Another translation says that we're God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that? Did you know that you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has set aside for you to do? He's prepared them in advance. He's thought it through. He said, hey, I I know what I want to do with you. We've got good plans. We're going to do good stuff. That means there's work with your name written all over it. Work that Tyler or Jeff or I cannot do. You have access to people, to corners of life, to relationships that the three of us could never touch. You have unique gifts and talents and treasures given to you by God for glorious purpose. And we get lost in just the mundane of the everyday and just going, all right, got to wake up, got to work, got to pay the bill. And we miss out on what God is trying to do with our lives. Many of us like movies like The Lord of the Rings or The Avengers or a good spy movie, which always start with some authority figure, right, a Phil Coulson or a Gandalf, just showing up and giving someone a quest that seems really hard, but for some cosmic reason, only you can do it. It's just got to be you. And I think one of the reasons we like these movies is because we sit there and we go, I kind of want someone to show up and and send me on some crazy adventure. I want someone to show up and, and send me on a big mission. Spoiler alert, you have a big purpose. And you have been sent on a mission by someone with immense, unknowable resources. Why do we live as if the only thing that matters is the size of our home, or what nice school we can send our kids to, or or just general comfort and stability, when God is trying to put us on mission to do something bigger than that? There is work with your name written on it, because God brings purpose from futility. If you look around and you're like, "Ah, my life is just the same every day. I go to my school, I go home, I do my schoolwork. I get the kids where they need to go. I I pay the bills. I go to my office job, I buy a new lawnmower. That's it, that's life. Let me humbly suggest that you are missing out on what God is trying to do in your life. I know God's made you for more than that, you specifically, because to those of us who know Jesus, he gives us spiritual gifts. Works powered by the Holy Spirit, to bear fruit for the kingdom. Look what Romans 12 says. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We're different. We're diverse. I have gifts you don't have. You have gifts I don't have. But we need to use them. And he says this. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We act so often like the people in our lives who do kingdom work are ministers, right? It's Pastor Jeff. He's up here teaching every week. He's really the one doing God's work. Teaching is only one of the gifts mentioned. Paul is saying we have different gifts and we better use them. And we just let it all to the person with one of the gifts Paul mentions as if that's the only good work God wants to do. And you look at yourself and go, well, I'm not a teacher. I, I can't teach a youth group or a Bible lesson or, or teaching from the church, so what can I do? And, and maybe you're right. Maybe you're not a teacher. And what a shame it would be if you were. Because we need those gifted in service. And, and our church has plenty. Those of you who show up at every car wash, every time something needs to be decorated, every time a chair needs to be moved, the Word of God says that you are equipped by the Holy Spirit to serve with a humility and grace that shows others who Jesus is. 
And I hope you use that gift. I hope you see it as a treasure. Instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'm not the guy who can be on a stage. What can I? No, of course, that's fine. He's never said that. He's never given us all one gift. Some of you are gifted in exhortation. Exhortation is encouragement and support. You're a letter writer. Or you're that person who, when, when you see a friend at church and say, hey, I was praying for you that week, you actually mean it instead of just like being like the Christian hello. No, I'll be praying for you this week, right? You feel fed by speaking life to people. You're thrilled when you can sit with someone in their sorrow. You are a gift from Christ Jesus to a world that is broken and hurting and plagued by depression and anxiety. God has gifted you with that. One of, one of my strongest memories from college, a lot of you know Elsa Ketchum. Elsa and I have been friends since we were 15 or 16. And I remember going through a really hard week in college and opening my mailbox, and I had a letter from Elsa. And I forget what was in it, but it was just like packed with notes, just encouraging me, saying she'd been praying for me. Hey, this is what I, I was talking to God about for you. I just remember that being such a moment of encouragement when I really needed it. And a lot of you are those people. Or maybe you just have the gift of giving, and admittedly, I think this is one that we underestimate in the church, and it's one that I've underestimated in giftedness. But the Lord's been working in my heart, and frankly, I've been led to repentance with how I've seen this gift. Some of you are divinely gifted by God with generosity. You have resources you want to share. You know that the money in your bank account is a lot more than a manicured lawn and a Tesla, right? It, you know that it can have kingdom impact. That, yeah, we can do those things, right? We, we all want a nice lawn, but, but that there's a purpose to a lot of what God has given you. I've been reading this book recently uh, about support raising, and it said something that I had never thought about. That when Christians with office jobs start investing their money in kingdom impact, right, like supporting a missionary, they suddenly can start thinking of their office every day as joining a missionary on the field, as being a way of going with someone to the mission field, as being a worker for the harvest. And, and I have never thought of that. I always just thought whenever someone asked me to support them as a missionary, someone's like, oh, yeah, I'll just cut them a check, whatever. But we're going with them in the work they do, and we make it possible. And I think we undervalue these different gifts, and we just go, oh, I just, I just go to my job every day. But what if our jobs are actually bringing real life to people? Because of the missionaries we support, because of the ways that we use the blessings God has given us, because of the ways we use our homes. What can our resources make possible for the kingdom of God? Our God brings purpose from futility. God has made you and called you and gifted you with his spirit to have eternal impact. And if your life feels like it's floating along and you're not sure what good you're doing for the kingdom, I would encourage you to be in prayer. Lord, what are you calling me to do? How have you gifted me? How have you called me to leverage my gifts for the good of the gospel? But also, I'd encourage you to talk to people, talk to Jeff, talk to myself, talk to our elders. Explore, where are your gifts ready to be used for the kingdom of God? <clears throat> Our God brings beauty from chaos. He brings strength from weakness, and he brings purpose from futility. And as we close out, I want to ask you to think about these things. Ask you where you have need of this God who makes wonders, where you have need of, of him to make a wonder in your life, where he needs to come in and reassemble to take out all the pieces and build them new. 
so it looks like a master worker has been here and made a masterpiece. Do me a favor and close your eyes as we get ready to pray. Are there areas in your life that just feel chaotic and where you need God to bring order? Are there areas of your life where you just feel too weak to handle them and you need God to strengthen you? And is there a way in which your life just feels like it's just floating along and you don't see what good you bring to the kingdom? You need God to reveal purpose for you. <coughs> the last thing I want to say is that this is the life that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And if you have not made Christ Jesus your God, I would encourage you to do so. I'd be happy to talk after the service. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you have redeemed us for so much more than just a comfortable life here. You've redeemed us for a mission, for a purpose, to be light in a dark world, to be people who join you in bringing beauty from chaos. You have met us in our weakness and offered us your strength. You've met us in our futility and molded us in your likeness and called us to purpose. I pray, Jesus, that you would reveal that to us. I pray that those of us who are struggling, would you give them strength? Would you equip them? Would you show them that they are not alone, that you have given them resources in your Holy Spirit, but also in your church? Lord, I also pray that there, I know there are people in this church who just need to see where you're calling them to serve. Pray that you would reveal their gifts. Pray that you'd make them bold in using those gifts for your kingdom. Lord, most of all, we thank you for loving us and for receiving us. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> As we get ready to wrap up our service, one of the things we do at Hope Church is we practice confession of our sins. And we just talked about this God who brings beauty from chaos and strength from weakness and purpose from futility, this God who knows us and loves us. We bring our weakness to this God, to our God, when we confess our sin, trusting him to make something new, trusting him to give us strength. So let's read this confession together. It's uh, in your order of worship. Most holy God, it is more common for us to be silent about our sin than to acknowledge it. We have failed to live as you would have us live in our thoughts, words, and actions. We are inconsistent people behaving differently in private than in public. We have failed to truly love you, and we have betrayed the people you have placed in our lives. And all the while, we try to convince the world around us that we are good and relatively sinless. Help us to acknowledge the darkness that is in our hearts. Save us from a life that wastes away because we fail to seek your grace and mercy. Help us to be open with you and those around us about our sin so that we might experience your blessing through Christ Jesus the Savior of sinners. Amen. Lord, would you hear us as we privately confess our sins? Lord, 
thank you for hearing us and forgiving us. Hear this assurance of pardon from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you from blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. If you're able, please stand with us.